0: Leviticus 11, we're going to read verses 29 through 31 as our opening text. It says, These creatures that swarm on the ground are unclean for you. The weasel, the mouse, the various kinds of large lizard, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the common lizard, the skink, and the chameleon. These are unclean for you among all the swarming creatures. Whoever touches them when they are dead will be unclean until evening. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. I bet you've never heard a pastor open up with that text before. (laughs) This is Part 3. This is Lesson 3 in our study on the Dietary Laws of Almighty Yahweh. They are in here for a purpose. These are His instructions. This is His guidance. He has given us commandments for our good, Deuteronomy 6 says. Whether we understand it or not, they're for our good. And up to this point, we've covered most of the animals listed in Leviticus 11. And then last week, we covered the prohibitions on eating the fat and the blood of an animal. And I've learned a few things revisiting this subject. The other day, Brother Jerry mentioned this, but the other day I learned that giraffe is kosher. Now, I'm not sure I want to take it upon myself to kill and butcher a giraffe, In Judaism, the reason that they don't eat giraffe, they say that it's kosher, but their particular law of slaughtering, which is known as shakita, doesn't know where on the neck to slaughter the giraffe because the giraffe's neck is long. (laughs) I'm not sure that would prevent us from eating a giraffe, but it does have divided hooves all the way divided like a goat, sheep, or cow, and it chews the cud and so if somebody offers you some giraffe meat in the future you can eat it in clean conscience because it is on Yahweh's menu so it doesn't matter what we think, it matters what Yahweh says it's on his menu so I learned that and I've learned some other things as well I used to be more interested in studying the verses and the objections that people use to try to abolish the dietary laws like Acts chapter 10 or 1 Timothy 4, passages like that, I used to be more interested in studying those texts. But the older that I get in the Spirit, the more mature I get in the Spirit, I'm not as interested in studying those texts as I am interested in studying the law of Yahweh. I would rather spend my time studying, first and foremost, what Yahweh commands and get all of that in my mind, and my heart, and my practice. I would rather spend my time seeing what Yahweh says, what Yahweh allows, and what Yahweh prohibits, because He's our Heavenly Father, He's the Creator, and He is the author and the inspiration behind this book that we hold to be sacred. In all of the texts that we've studied, Leviticus 3, Leviticus 7, Leviticus 11 and 17, we have heard Yahweh speaking through His Word. We'll read a text and it will say, Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron, or Yahweh spoke to the children of Israel, and then he'll give us instructions. For some reason, people will read what Paul spoke or what Peter spoke, and they'll think what Paul or Peter said takes precedence over what Yahweh has already said. And it's as though something that Paul said, everything in Christianity hinges around what Paul said, and I think that Paul is misunderstood for the most part because people don't study context and culture and particular audiences that Paul was writing or speaking to, but people will actually downplay. I'm talking about Bible believers will downplay what Yahweh says. Yahweh the Father, Yahweh the Creator. They'll downplay what He says and say, well, look at what Paul says over here. That's backwards, y'all. That's not right. Why don't we hinge everything on what Yahweh says? Yahweh is the lawgiver. There's only one lawgiver, the Bible says, who is able to save and destroy. His name is Yahweh. What he says is paramount. What Paul or Peter or James or John says has to be filtered through what Yahweh has already said. And so if Yahweh has spoken it and he has given us instructions or commandments, Don't try to take something else that you think might go against what Yahweh said and trump everything that Yahweh has already commanded. That doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm no longer as interested in studying these other verses before or primary over what Yahweh has said. I study what Yahweh has said in His law. And if somebody asks me, Why do you practice this or that or this way or that way? My first answer is, let me tell you what Yahweh has said. It comes first. He's the creator of all these animals, so He gets to make the call on what we eat and what we don't eat. I'm going to deal with these objections that I mentioned in part one. I'll deal with them in a later message. But for now, I want to concentrate more on what Yahweh said. And I'd like to cover a few more particulars concerning the dietary law that I don't want to go unnoticed. Because... Most of the sermons that I've heard on the dietary laws are simply teachings on like Acts 10 or 1 Timothy 4 or Romans 14. Those are important texts, but not very many of them cover the actual laws of Yahweh, and that's what I've been trying to do in this series. If you look at Leviticus 11, you're going to see that it's divided into sections. Verses 1 through 8 deal with the land animals, we covered that. Verses 9 through 12. Deal with the aquatic animals. Verses 13 through 19 deal with the flying creatures, and verses 20 through 23 deal with the creeping things, or we might say the insects. Verses 24 through 28 is a summary of what came before it. And then in verse 29, a new section starts in regards to creatures that swarm on the ground. Creatures like the weasel, the mouse, the lizard, and the chameleon. Those are unclean, meaning they're not fit to eat. These are creatures that pop out at you or startle you or scare you. I was looking for something in my shed the other day and a mouse popped out at me. (laughs) Like to make me hurt myself when he popped out. You're not expecting something like that and all of a sudden, boom, you know, it's right there. Creatures like this are unfit to eat. And I believe that they are the context in verses 29 through verse 38. These verses deal with creatures dying, creatures like this dying and falling onto or into something. Right after these creatures are mentioned in verses 29 through 31, we specifically read in verse 31 through 32, look at this, These are unclean for you among all the swarming creatures. So the word these, you can circle that, point you arrow to what creatures he just mentioned the swarming creatures, whoever touches them when they are dead will be unclean until evening. When any one of them dies and falls on anything, it becomes unclean. Any item of wood, clothing, leather, sackcloth, or any implement used for work, it is to be rinsed with water and will remain unclean until evening, then it will be clean. So that mouse that I ran across in my shed was definitely a live mouse. So these verses wouldn't apply, but there have been times when I have found a dead mouse or a dead lizard on one of my tools. And Yahweh says, any item of wood, clothing, leather, sackcloth, or working tool, implement used for work. So the proper procedure is to rinse that item that this dead swarming creature (laughs) fell on when it died, to rinse that item with water. In other words, you clean the item. And then it will be clean at evening. Now, look at verses 33 through 34. Verse 33, If any of them, still talking about the swarming creatures, falls into any clay pot, everything in it will become unclean. You must break it. I think the context is talking about it falling into the clay pot because it died. The previous verses talks about death and falling on something. Verse 34, any edible food coming into contact with that unclean water will become unclean. And any drinkable liquid in any container will become unclean. So let me ask you a question. Why do you think that we are to break a clay pot when a mouse dies or a lizard dies or a gecko dies and falls into the clay pot? I think it's because the clay is porous material the clay can soak in the carcass of that mouse or lizard and washing it will not remove the bacteria. Now, Tisha sometimes cooks with what's called stoneware. I remember when we first got it from a company called Pampered Chef. And I'm not a professional chef like my wife is. Praise Yahweh. So I looked up the directions for cooking with stoneware and this is some of what I found. Listen to this. This is from a website called hunker.com it's directions for cooking with stoneware. They said this, season your stoneware by spraying or rubbing vegetable oil on it or baking high fatty foods on it or in it. This will create a nonstick surface. The seasoned stoneware will darken due to the fat and oil embedded in it. This is normal. Later on they said this, Wash your seasoned stoneware by simply running hot water over it after it's cooled to room temperature. Scrape off the stubborn food with a nylon scraper or brush the surface with a clean nylon kitchen brush. Don't use dish soap as stoneware will absorb it, passing the flavor on to the next thing you cook. Soap will also break down the seasoning process. So the whole point here is that when one of these dead swarming creatures falls, dies, and falls into a clay pot or a piece of stoneware, the bacteria from the dead creature cannot be removed from that material. A clay pot cannot be rinsed and cleaned of the bacterial fungus or the mouse or the gecko or the lizard like a modern-day stainless steel pot, we might say, could. So I believe that if a mouse died and fell into your stainless steel pot, you might still want to get rid of it, and that's okay. I don't necessarily think that you would have to. I believe you could wash and sanitize and clean that pot and reuse that pot, but you could not do so with a clay pot or a piece of stoneware. You must break it. Or as the next verse in verse 35 says, look with me in verse 35, anything one of there, notice the pronoun again, There is referring back to the swarming creatures, Anything one of their carcasses falls on will become unclean. If it is an oven or stove, it must be smashed. Now, what kind of oven or stove do you smash? A clay oven or a stone oven, not a metal one or a steel one. But you smash one just like the clay pots. It is unclean and will remain unclean for you. The predominant stoves that would have been used in that time would have been what we call clay ovens. I'd like to have some pictures. You can look them up on the internet and see nowadays. There's still clay ovens or stone ovens that can be used. So these commands make sense, and certainly they do have to do with our health. Remember, the dietary laws are holiness first. Be ye holy because I am holy, Yahweh says. But they are health second. Health is a reason and a purpose here in this section. I believe that we can definitely see that Yahweh was concerned with the spread of bacteria from a dead mouse or lizard or weasel that may have died and fallen into somebody's clay pot or oven. It is to be broke, it is to be smashed, it is not to be reused. Now whether they know it or not, the health and food industry abides by these laws to a point. According to standard food codes, you can look it up on the internet, USDA food codes, restaurants and grocery stores are to keep out insects, rodents, and other pests, else they will be shut down and closed for business until they are up to code. Some areas may be stricter than others, but the point is, is that there is an awareness to the problems that creatures like this can cause in cooking utensils and also in food. I did a search the other day with three words bacteria mouse carcass put that in the search engine and a host of articles from pest control sites popped up and you could spend all day if you wanted to reading these articles about the bacteria that is in these creatures when they die and fall onto something. I'm going to read these quickly but I want to read ten steps to dispose of a dead mouse from the company Victor Mouse Traps. Those little wooden mouse traps that mama and grandmama always used. That's Victor Mouse Traps. This is what they said. Ten steps to removing a dead mouse. Listen, step one, put on a pair of rubber gloves. Step two, spray the dead mouse and the immediate area with disinfectant or bleach and water mixture. Step three, place the mouse in a plastic bag you may save the trap for future use or throw it out as well step four place any mouse soiled objects in the bag including feces nesting material or food step five seal the bag do not push out the extra air from the bag doing so may spread germs bacteria or viruses that the mouse is carrying step six place the sealed bag into another bag and seal it too step seven throw the bag in the trash step eight wash Gloved hands with soap and water or spray disinfectant on them. Step nine, remove gloves, throw them into the trash. Step ten, wash your hands after you remove the gloves. This was not a parody. This was not to be funny. This was actual steps that they want people to take when they remove a dead mouse from the mousetrap. And it seems like a lot of trouble to go through. It does. But I believe that the spread of harmful bacteria is what Yahweh is trying to prevent in this particular section of Leviticus 11, mm-hmm. thousands of years ago, Yahweh already had it in His mind and knowledge. That's right. what, what does He say in Deuteronomy 6 again? I keep repeating it, but it bears worth repeating. I give you these commandments for your good, so that it may go well with you, and so that your children may prosper and have a good life. All of Yahweh's commandments are for our good. Now, the context of this section is concerning the swarming creatures, I believe. From what I've studied, it's concerning these creatures. Obviously, a pig or a horse, which are two unclean animals, they're not going to die and fall into one of you clay pots because they're not going to be around that area. However, a mouse or a lizard could. That's actually happened. I've seen that happen before. So the argument could be made... Here, that this section about utensils and pots and ovens is only applicable to these particular swarming creatures listed in verses 29 through 31. In other words, it might not be wrong to cook with or eat out of a clay pot or oven that pig or shrimp has been cooked in. If we keep Leviticus 11 in context... A new section concerning these swarming creatures begins in verse 29. And then the commands regarding these particular animals dying and falling onto or into items is given. Plus, the commands are only in regards to the context of clay or earthenware vessels. Steel or metal can be washed and sanitized, but not stoneware. Look at Leviticus 11, 36-37. This is continuing in this same context of the swarming creatures. Verse 36, excuse me, verse 36 through 38. A spring or cistern containing water will remain clean, but someone who touches a carcass in it will become unclean. If one of their carcasses falls on any seed that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water has been put on the seed and one of their carcasses falls on it, It is unclean for you. When Yahweh talks about their carcasses here in these verses, He's still referring to the swarming creatures. I want you to notice this though. A new thought begins in verse 39. A new context begins in verse 39. Listen carefully or follow along. Verse 39. If one of the animals that you use for food dies. Now, the animals that we use for food are called clean animals, sheep. Goat, cow, pheasant. Okay? If one of the animals that you use for food dies, and what that means is it has a natural death. It dies of itself without being slaughtered. Anyone who touches its carcass will be unclean until evening. Anyone who eats some of its carcass must wash his clothes and will be unclean until evening. Anyone who carries its carcass must wash his clothes and will be unclean until evening. My point in reading that is that another section begins in 39 through 40 and you cannot mix the two sections else you will come up with wrong doctrine or wrong understanding. Now that being said, let me explain what, I, what Brother Matthew practices currently and I've practiced this for years The entire chapter of Leviticus 11 is in the context of Yahweh giving all of these dietary laws to the people of Israel. And they were commanded not to slaughter and eat a pig, a horse, a camel. All of these are unclean in the first place. Therefore, if a pig was slaughtered for food, then a pork dish prepared in a clay pot or a piece of stoneware the pork dish would penetrate into the clay pot or the earthenware stove. And so right now, my current understanding, and I'm going to go with that until I know for sure otherwise, I believe that that should be broken or or smashed. Once the clay or the stone material has soaked in the pork or the shrimp or the catfish, so forth and so on, it is there to stay in that particular material. And so I believe that something like a stainless steel pot or a material that is not porous can be rinsed and washed. But a clay pot or a stone dish, I would get rid of it. I would smash it and not use it. Now, I could be wrong in that understanding. That's the way i practiced it for a long time. That's the way I'm going to continue to practice it um, in spite of what I shared with you about the context of the swarming creatures. I could be wrong on the way I practice it now. I'm going to study more... I want to continue to meditate on Yahweh's law day and night. The blessed man does, Psalm chapter 1. But I don't want to be guilty of Deuteronomy 4 verse 2. Flip your Bible to Deuteronomy 4. I know I promised you we'd stay in Leviticus 11, but let's flip to one verse, one more verse in Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 through 2. I don't want to be guilty of this. Deuteronomy 4 1. Now Israel... Listen to the statutes and ordinances I am teaching you to follow so that you may live, enter, and take possession of the land Yahweh, the mighty one of your fathers, is giving you. You must not add anything to what I command you or take anything away from it so that you may keep the commands. Yahweh, your mighty one, I am giving you. It is just as wrong to add to Yahweh's law. As it is to take away from Yahweh's law. And a lot of times we only center in on taking away from it. A lot of times you'll find in traditions of man, in Judaism and in Christianity, that people add to the law or add to the scriptures in attempt to be stricter than Yahweh is. That's just as wrong as taking away from Yahweh's law. So if somebody comes up to you and says, you know, well... I don't do such and such and such and such. And you say, well, where's that in the law of Yahweh? Because if it's in the law of Yahweh, I want to abide by it. And they say, well, I've built a fence around the law of Yahweh, so I don't break the law of Yahweh. That might be fine for that person as a personal conviction, but you can't push a personal conviction as doctrine, as commandments. We don't want to add to or take away. We may say, well, we don't want to be too loose. And I agree, that is correct. But we also don't want to be too strict. Do not add to or take away, Yahweh says. So these are the particulars of the dietary laws that once one begins to observe the dietary laws, after they've been observing them for a period of time, I've done them now since 1996, late, late 1996 is when I started. Once you observe them for a while, you begin to think about these particulars of cooking and eating in the law. And what my family and I have done over the years is we've learned and we've grown. Sometimes we find out that something that we didn't know had something unclean in it. And we've been eating it for a while. And we found out that it had something unclean in it. we said, well, no more. We're not going to eat that anymore, you know. Don't get overwhelmed at the information. Just learn and grow at your own pace as Yahweh leads and guides you at your own pace. These particulars, including learning that pork and beef might be sometimes cooked right beside each other on a grill. Let's say somebody invites me over for dinner and they're grilling out and I see a big juicy pork chop right there beside my grilled chicken or my ribeye steak. And so the pork meat and the juice is touching my My steak or my chicken, what would you do and what I would do what I would do is refrain from eating. I would pass it up because I know that it's been contaminated by something that's been unclean. I know that for certain. however, I don't try to beat up everybody else with a hammer of that knowledge. Uh, the apostle Paul says in first Corinthians eight, Knowledge makes arrogant, puffs up, but love edifies. So there is a way that I can share with other people that aren't at my level of understanding in a gentle and in a kind way, and yet remain in what Yahweh's law teaches. But I don't go around beating everybody up with a hammer about that. I have met people in my walk who were not as far along as I am, but yet they were learning and they were growing as Yahweh led and guided them. I've also met people in my walk who were further in knowledge than myself, and further in practice than myself, and they shared with me in a good way, and I studied, and I changed. We learn and we grow in Yahweh's commandments. Don't beat people up if they're not at the same level as you, else you will get beat up by somebody above level in you, because you will reap what you sow. Remember the Jerusalem Council. He said, we're not going to put this heavy burden that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we're going to start these these Gentiles, these Gentile heathens that have converted to the faith, we're going to start them out with some laws. They're going to listen as they come to the synagogue on the Sabbath. They're going to listen to Moses be read and taught. They're going to learn and they're going to grow. Don't beat them over the head with a hammer like some of the Pharisees were trying to do and saying, look, Unless you be circumcised first, you can't even be saved. And so uh, the Apostle, elders uh, Peter and James said, No, that's wrong. We agree with Paul what Paul is teaching the gospel to the Gentiles. We agree that they can have salvation prior to circumcision, just like Abraham had justification and salvation prior to his circumcision in Genesis 15. Let me say here at the end of this lesson that we should also keep in mind the particulars of unclean items being in things that we may not ever expect. Now my wife is a blessing to me here because she's always checking to make sure that our family is not eating anything that is not on Yahweh's menu or something that somebody might have snuck in, some kind of ingredient. For instance, gelatin. Gelatin is a gelling agent that is derived from boiling the bones of an animal and is found in a lot of candies and vitamins and it often comes from pig or pork. Sometimes gelatin is beef, and we research those to, to make sure. If we're, if we're in doubt, we do without. That's a good thing to remember. When in doubt, do without when you always when you always dietary laws. But that's one thing you might look for. You read the ingredients. We need to be ingredient readers anyhow, right? You look on the back of something, and you've got a list that long of ingredients. You don't know how to pronounce them to start with, and you don't know what they are after that. You know, the shorter the ingredient list, the better. But if you see gelatin, you know, caution say, well, that might not be on Yahweh's menu. That might have come or been derived from from pig. Or natural flavors. This is one that got me years ago. Natural flavors is sometimes not kosher. If an item says natural flavors, it's natural. If it comes from a cow or a beaver, it's still natural. And you'll be surprised what is behind some of the words on the ingredients that you are not aware of. So, once again, don't beat yourself up over this. Don't beat others up over this. You learn and you grow at your own pace. I guarantee you, if you serve Yahweh, you will be more advanced in keeping His commandments five years from now than you are right now. You will be. Because you learn and you grow. and You, you grow in your knowledge and understanding. So... My point here is that if we're serious about obeying Yahweh's instructions, let's be serious. But let's don't be Pharisees. Let's don't walk around judging everyone who may not do things exactly like we do. But at the same time, let's be willing to learn and to grow. Let's be willing to discuss these matters with other brothers and sisters in the faith. That's one of the ways that we grow. Because everything's not in my brain or your brain. But we get all of our brains together and we grow in knowledge and understanding. Let's increase in our holiness. This is a holiness message. Brothers and sisters, it's all about loving Yahweh. This is the love of Yahweh that we keep His commandments, including the commandments listed in Leviticus chapter 11. Next week, Brother Jerry and Brother TJ will teach and then next month, I'll continue this series and we'll talk about some of the objections that people give To the dietary laws. Remember. What Yahweh says matters most. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father. I thank you. I praise you. And I love you. Hallowed be your name. Father Yahweh. I pray. For everybody in here. That you would increase their knowledge. And their understanding. In your instruction manual. Father Yahweh never let us feel that we have arrived at peak knowledge. Let us always press toward the mark. Till the day that we die. Learning more and more. Growing more and more. Sharing more and more. Becoming like the Messiah. As you are in the process of inscribing your laws. On our minds and on our hearts. Until they are fully there. Fully there at the resurrection. Father Yahweh, thank you for this group of people. There's a lot of things going on this evening that is not of you, Yahweh. And it saddens me. It saddens me, Father Yahweh. But I'm thankful for my wife, I'm thankful for my children, I'm thankful for all the brothers and sisters here. Yahweh, I'm thankful for your feast days, your Sabbaths and new moons, your holy times, that we can enjoy ourselves and have a good time in righteousness and in holiness. We bless you, Yahweh. We bless your name. We thank you, Father, for your commandments. Help us all, Yahweh. Forgive us where we fail. Through your Son, Yeshua, I pray. Amen. Amen.